It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's news channel with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Now, here's your host, Casey Hendrickson. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Casey Hendrickson here. You're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. I got the guys from Corhorn Financial Group, Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory, sitting down with me today. Of course, a great show lined up. We're going to spend some time on listener questions in the second half of the show. Again, you can submit your questions by going to uh, our website, wisemoneyradio.com, and you can also call in to our hotline and leave a voicemail at 574-222-2000. Today, we're talking about the eight essential principles of personal finance. So, guys, where did you come up with these principles, and how would you introduce this topic today? (laughs) It was a very scientific approach, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Lots of research that went into this this. one. Little that. That's right. We we surveyed three of the craziest financial advisors we could find, (laughs) and all of Granger came up with eight things that you just don't want to miss in your financial life. So this is, this is the best that we could come up with. Top eight things. You can screw up a lot of things in your financial life, but don't mess up these ones. Yeah, but all kidding aside, we have a pretty unique process that we walk clients through at Corhorn Financial Group. And as we survey their entire financial life, we're looking for really these eight and more, but must-haves in someone's financial life that we, you listen, you've got to evaluate this or you've got to consider this. And so we just kind of distilled that down into a palatable list of eight, and we're going to be working through that today. Why not 10, like everybody else? 10's too many. Okay. We could probably go 80. Your Kevin financial up, life is not important enough to we're be way 10 too things, long just so everybody knows. We actually really had to <laughs> boil it down and distill it down, because it right. could be 80, really. And I think the timing of this is incredibly important, because if you're listening today, you're looking at Thanksgiving and Black Friday. So with Thanksgiving, you're going to be making some decisions how much or how little am I going to eat? Am I going to come out of this weekend gaining five pounds? Am I going to break even? Am I going to be a little less? So that's the decisions for Wednesday night and Thursday. And then the decision for Friday is how much am I going to spend? And do I have a plan for how much I'm going to spend? Am I limiting my calorie intake? Am I limiting my dollar spending? Am I going to get to the end of this weekend with regrets? In this, in this life, there are two kinds of pain. The pain of self-discipline and the pain of regret. And you can only avoid one. We just lost all of our listeners, by the way. Everyone wants to eat too much on Thanksgiving, spend too much on Friday. But hey, tune in. We've got eight eight principles to share with you. Hey, but Black Friday, like I said, uh, on my show regular. I mean, by the way, Cyber Monday's now far surpassed Black Friday yeah, for shopping. Right. But Black Friday, the deals aren't really there anymore for, for most people, it's maybe 5% off here and there. So again, don't necessarily get caught up in the moment of it being Black Friday because you might actually not find the best deals anyway. Yeah. All right. So we have the prince, the first principle here, spending plan, have a spending plan, which is something that Kevin talked about uh, just a second ago. So let's, let's go over that. Yeah. So that's really a nicer way of saying a budget, but it, but I think a spending plan actually gives a little bit more Uh, It provides a little bit more credence to what we're really talking about. And that is you need to plan ahead how much income is coming into the house and where that money is going. Some people are just naturally hardwired that they're not going to spend all of what they make, all all of what they bring in each month. Other people, it's not so natural and 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 it's hard to get their money to last to the 30th. So. So if somebody's never had a budget before, and I know that we did a show on budgeting. So if you go to Wise Money Radio dot com you can go back in the archives you can re-listen to it but just for 
new listeners, you know, what's happening? How would you tell them to really get started with doing a budget? Uh, You know, I would have someone either grab a piece of paper or open up Excel on your computer. I'm an Excel nerd. You guys know that now if you've been listening to the show. Open Office is free. Excel is expensive. (laughs) I'm just pointing this out to the financial planning guys trying to save you money. Well, if it's in your budget, you can use Excel. (laughs) I like Excel anyway. So, But you just make a list. Just think of a typical month. How much money do you think you're going to have coming in to the bank account? And then where do you want that money to go? And have those expenses in broad categories, so shopping or groceries or this utility bill. And that's where I would start. I would start by just writing, doing the math, writing it out. Well, and if you plan ahead for a budgeting project like this one, you you know, maybe the first of the year you want to go live with a new budget. Now is the time to start tracking the data so you know where the money's going currently. Yeah. And there's some cool tools out there. You can download them on your computer or on your iPhone and uh, things like mint.com or uh, Quicken. These are tools that are meant to help you track where the spending is going. And that's really what tells you um, what what are the habits and the the patterns in your life right now? And then it's a matter of tweaking those to uh, hopefully steer money in a better direction moving forward. That's what this discipline is all about. This skill of budgeting is about how do you steer money towards the things that are most important to you? Yeah, and the skill of budgeting or having a spending plan really lets you know objectively, do I have an income problem or an expense problem? Because for a lot of folks, they say, well, I just, I have friction in my marriage and my relationships because of money. And it's great to completely objectify what am I trying to do and how am I trying to do it and, and answer the question, do I have an income problem or an expense problem? And so how do people get a hold of you if they need help with that? Yeah, I would... It takes a lot of discipline to stick to a budget, and we help people with that all day, every day. So you can call our office, call a coach. Get If you haven't started a budget right now, it's probably because you need someone holding you accountable and giving you some tools and tricks to get it started, and we're happy to help people with that. Well, and not only does that coach need to be able to you know, give you some of the mechanics of how to budget, what categories to break things down into, some of the tricks of the trade, but they also need to be someone who's not afraid of conflict. Because they may need to enter into some really hard conversations with you and your spouse. Um, You know, most often that's where most couples will get stuck in the budgeting process. It's uh, they, they hit a conflict along the way. They're struggling to have enough dollars to go towards the things that are most important to them. And, you know, they get into the middle of this arm wrestling match over what are the priorities and how do you gracefully work your way through that um, is tough for a lot of people. And that's where a coach can really come in handy. All right. So principle two, have the right bank account structure. Now, what do you mean by that? I don't think a lot of people think too much about the structure of their bank accounts. That's why it's on the list. And, and of all of the unique things that we've helped people with in their finances. If I could just narrow it down to just one one discipline that has had the biggest impact on people's lives, it's not, hey, invest in this or save this amount. It's actually having the right bank account structure. So having the right bank account structure is defining how much you should have set aside for emergencies. And then even what type of bank account should you have? That shouldn't be a checking. It shouldn't even be a savings account. So what type of account should you have for your your emergency fund. But then second, the right bank account structure defines 
how much you should set aside for those upcoming known expenses, like right now, Christmas, or paying cash for your next car, or the big vacation you want to take. Those things in life that you're probably going to do anyway, the right bank account structure sets you up for success. So when you hit those, you've got the cash to do it. Yeah. So what Mike is referring to is something that we call the three bank account system. It's literally three buckets or three bank accounts that we coach a lot of our clients to set up. The first one is what we refer to as your immediate spending account. And you can think checking account on this. This is the account that you would use to manage all of your monthly day-to-day types of expenses. Expenses that literally you're going to see them every single month throughout the year like clockwork. Um, Those are by their nature more of an in and out transactional type of an account. And most people, um, they kind of recount to us that they struggle to save money in a checking account. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why we have bucket number two, which we refer to as the delayed spending account. And this would not be for monthly expenses. This would be for non-monthly expenses. The things that come around more sporadically or less frequently throughout the year, maybe even over the course of every other year or, or even less frequently yet. But the purpose of that account is to pile up dollars for the very things that Mike was just hitting. The expenses that are out there on the horizon, uh, they haven't shown up in the mailbox yet. They're not staring you in the eyes, but you know they're coming and you need to be accumulating dollars for them. Um, Things like Christmas and car replacements and home improvements and, and things like that. That's bucket number two. If it's working well and you can plan ahead for those known expenses that should be on your radar screen out there in the future, then you'll have less need for bucket number three, which is just as essential. It's the emergency spending account. Mm-hmm. That's where you have your rainy day fund. It's, it's the fallback dollars or your safety net, mostly dollars that are there to protect you from the, the granddaddy of all emergencies, and that is an interruption to your income. That's one of the reasons why we cite uh, as a rule of thumb your emergency fund should be uh, filled up with dollars that amount to maybe three to six months worth of your living expenses. That may be how long you need to live without a paycheck in the future if uh, tragedy strikes or the unexpected comes. So we've got your immediate spending account, your delayed spending account, and then your emergency fund account. You got it. That's, That's right. Those three things. Yeah. Now, the next principle involves insurance coverage. So what we're going to go ahead and do is, is head over to commercial break and come back because I have, I have a feeling it's going to take a couple of minutes to get through. <laughs> so again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson here. Once again, you're listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. And we are talking about the eight essential principles of personal finances. And we left off with the right bank account structure. So the next principle, principle three, is don't have a cookie cutter insurance plan or insurance coverage. Now, how would a listener even know what cookie cutter coverage is, guys? Yeah, in the insurance industry, there is a, there's just a lot of one size fits all. You can see it as we look at people's life insurance or home and auto insurance coverage or even disability. As people come in and we get to analyze their situation, it just does seem like a lot of insurance professionals specifically has this kind of one size fits all approach. And we completely disagree with that. And so putting your insurance on autopilot and just 
assuming that it doesn't need to be custom fit or tailored fit to your situation is oftentimes the wrong approach. A quick example, while Kevin and Josh are thinking of some other examples too, is with home and auto insurance. This idea on your auto insurance that 100000 per person, 300000 per accident, that commonly called 100, 300 coverage, is the right fit for you. That's what a lot of insurance, insurance companies were recommending 20 years ago. And costs have come up considerably and things have changed considerably over the last 20 years. How is that still appropriate here today? Yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. Uh, that was actually the example that I was thinking as well. If you can call into an insurance agency to get a quote on your car insurance and they can actually answer that question without um, digging into the details of your overall financial life, then you know you're you're being dealt a, a cookie cutter type of policy, right? Life insurance, though, has the same approach. And we talked about this a, mm. a, a few weeks ago that a lot of times with life insurance, some insurance professionals just say, oh, well, how much you need is a multiple of your income. No, there should be a thorough analysis about, hey, how much debt do you have? What are your goals? What what would happen? Would you move if, if something happened to your spouse? Would you move? What would happen with your situation? So it needs to be custom fit to, so it's not just home and auto insurance, life insurance, same way, disability as well. Yeah. And having done this for 22 years, I've seen where an umbrella policy, a million dollar umbrella policy on top of the $500,000 of underlying limits pays out. And in this accident, there's $1.5 million that gets paid out. So we've seen the benefits to proper protection. And a lot of times people say, well, am I overinsured? Am I underinsured? Am I just right? And they kind of want to do the, the Goldilocks and the three bears, right? Not too much, not too little, just right. But just right isn't going to be based on some sort of rule of thumb or an idea that someone might have had. It's going to be based on a thorough analysis of what do I have, what what are my risks that I'm facing, and what's the most efficient way to either transfer those risks or do I choose to live with them? And once again, if you go back to wisemoneyradio.com and you go into the archives of previous shows that we've done, we've done some detailed shows on the insurance uh, angle of it and a lot of these principles too, by the way. So if, if you think, feel like we're rushing through any of them, that's because there's already a show for you to go back and get full details yeah. and, and listen to it for, for an hour. All right, so principle four, determine how you can get money into a Roth IRA. So again, explain the basics of a Roth IRA, how it works, and should everybody have one? Well, the beauty of a Roth IRA is... It's a savings vehicle, typically for retirement, and you're setting aside dollars that you've already paid tax on, and then they get to grow inside of an account, uh, invested in a way that you're comfortable with, without ever being taxed again. So when you get out there to retirement and you're ready to start spending these dollars, they're coming out to you tax-free. And quite frankly, it could be one of the only sources of tax-free income that you have in retirement. So that's why we're such huge fans of the Roth IRA. You can contribute to a Roth IRA or you can um, do a conversion of old IRA dollars that you move over to a Roth that is a taxable event, so you pay tax in the process there. But if you could pay tax at some low rates today and then never pay tax again, that could be a pretty sweet deal for you. Yeah. I met with a new client recently, and as we started talking, I realized this person had their financial situation very well organized and very well thought through, but he didn't understand how to incorporate the tax strategy that would include using a Roth IRA. So it's important to realize there are many benefits to utilizing a Roth IRA, 
one of the things you can do is you can pull it out early and pay for your kid's education with the basis without any kind of penalty. In retirement, it can let you pay for a major expense without damaging your tax plan in any given year. And these are dollars that aren't subject to the required minimum distribution rules that all the rest of your retirement plans are subject to. So it's kind of the Swiss army knife. Yeah, very versatile. Yep. That's the Flexible. term that's coming to me. Very, very versatile. Principle five, diversify your investments, and I love this, even when you don't like it. <laughs> I, I mean, explain that, because I mean, obviously people are like, well, no, I don't want to do that. I don't like that. Well, no, you need to do that. <laughs> so diver- diversification is don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So that everyone knows that. Everyone's heard that before. And here's why we add the even when you don't like it. Because, well, what do you do if one of those baskets isn't performing as well as the other basket? There's a temptation. I would argue it's probably the most common way of investing or investment philosophy out there. People don't even know they're doing it. And that's following the herd, following the crowd that, Hey, if I I've spread my uh, investments around, I don't have everything in one basket. But when I look at my statement, I see this one's not doing, this basket's not doing as well as this basket over here. Therefore this basket must be bad. And I'm going to take these eggs and put it over in this basket because for example, us large growth has done better recently. So I'm going to get rid of these small caps or international, and I'm going to load up over here on large growth, even though that violates the principle of diversification period. So there are times you're not going to like it. You're going to look and say, oh, this basket's not doing as well as these other ones. Therefore, I should get rid of this basket. No, that, that, that violates the principle of diversification. You know, here's another place where I've seen some folks who interpret that don't have all your eggs in one basket saying a little bit differently. They've come to the conclusion that they shouldn't have all of their investment dollars with one financial advisor. And that is one that I actually disagree with. Yeah. You know, the the problem with having multiple financial advisors is, let's say you divide your whole nest egg up into three different accounts and each advisor has one of those accounts. So you have three different uh coaches in your life uh, steering some of the dollars, and you may just assume that you are diversified because of it. But what could very well be happening, and we see this quite often, is each of those three advisors are taking a similar approach, and you have very similar investments three times over, and you're not nearly as diversified as you think you are. There may be some areas of uh, the investment world that you're completely missing because it's not a um, a coordinated effort amongst all these investments. So in, in my opinion, you ought to have one coach helping you spread the dollars around so that you are limiting the amount of risk that you're facing and it's a portfolio you can be comfortable with. So then we have the, well, actually, let me ask you this before we move on to the next principle. So let's just say a listener out there, they have a concern about if they're diversified enough. Yeah. I mean, how do they kind of go about figuring out if they are? That's common. Right now, a lot of people are frustrated with diversification because of all the different baskets you could spread your eggs. The U.S. investments have been the best ones really this year and last year. And so a lot of people are frustrated with diversification, but don't abandon the strategy. Everyone wanted to load up on tech stocks right before everything crashed. Everyone wanted to load up on real estate right before real estate crashed. So don't abandon that. I, I, don't, I don't want this to be too assertive. But I would have, if you've got a question about diversification, call our office. We want to help you with that. Diversification takes knowledge and skill and discipline. And we can help someone with all of that. 
Yeah, I don't think that's too assertive, by the way. All right, you know, fair I, game. Yeah, I mean, if I you want you to taking, babysit my kids. This, this that is too. too assertive, right there. <laughs> no, if you're taking your favorite chili recipe to a professional chef and having them taste test it for you, they'd be able to tell you right off the bat. Hey, you know, you're a little heavy on the beans here, and that will come back to haunt you. Uh, you know, you're a little light on these spices. You can doctor this up, and they can do all that just by doing their taste test, right? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do that, but looking at a portfolio and knowing whether or not there are certain ingredients that you're uh, you're missing, certain areas that you need to beef up a little bit, uh, that is something that a professional can do. So if you're questioning whether or not you're truly diversified, get a professional's opinion. You need a professional taste tester here. Yep, and a lot of times, if you are well-diversified, it's going to feel like you're doing something wrong with at least a part of your portfolio. Yeah, because good point. when you go to the uh, coffee machine at work, there's going to be the guy there making you feel like he's getting it all right and you're getting it all wrong. And don't listen to that guy. That's right. Big hat, no cattle. Unless, of course, his coffee is that much better than yours. <laughs> is it in a red cup? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just had a red cup incident in the office. <laughs> All right, so we've got three more principles to get through. And then, of course, listener questions that they have uh, submitted through the website, Wise Money Radio, or uh, wisemoneyradio.com, I should say, or through the, uh, the voicemail at 574-222-2000. So we'll get through the last three principles of personal finances coming up on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Good morning. Welcome back. You're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's news channel. Again, I'm Casey Hendrickson. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. we got Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, Josh Gregory joining us. And we have been going over the essential, the eight essential principles of financial or personal finances, I should say. Excuse me. Sorry, guys, because you guys changed the title on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) But there's eight principles, you know, that that everybody really needs to pay attention to in their personal finances. Principle six is to get the most out of your employer match. Now, this obviously seems Seems fairly obvious, obvious, uh, you you know, but but why do you think that this is so important and what are people getting wrong with this? So last year there was a study that was done and and this study says plant. So employees or, or participants in a company's 401k plan left $24 billion in their company's pocket by not getting the full match. One out of four employees is contributing less than what's needed to get the full company match. That is unbelievable. So, yeah, this one shouldn't even be on the list. America, listen up, take some action here, get this one off the list. But with that much money being left on the sidelines and with so many Americans being underfunded for their retirement goal, oh, my goodness, this has to be part of the eight essential financial principles. Well, and I would expand it even further than just uh, leaving employer match on the table. I would say don't leave free money on the table, period. And, you know, Kevin always likes to argue with me that there's no such thing as free money because it all comes from somewhere, right? And, and you're right. That's Most right. of it borrowing. That's right. But <laughs> so, so change free money to gifted money. It's, it's a gift to you if you just reach out and take it. Employer money is a big one. Um, but what about some of the incentives that are on the table from a tax planning standpoint? I'm, I'm thinking of saving money into your kid's 529 plan here in Indiana. You could get some free money, 
I, I say that tongue in cheek for Kevin's benefit. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's money on the table if you just take the right action. And, you know, to, to leave free money on the table is not some kind of honorable or noble thing to do. It's just dumb. So don't do it. So everybody's filling out their employments right now or yeah. their employment benefits right now. They're going through their insurance, HSAs and everything else. So, I mean, what should they be doing right now related to this very thing? Yeah, this is a natural time to get reacquainted with what your company's formula is for the match. I mean, some I bet a lot of people missed out on their match just because it's so stinking complicated. I know some of the hospitals in town have a very complicated formula as to how to get the most out of it. So, But right now is a natural time for you to get. make sure you know what the formula is, make sure you're contributing enough to get that full match. That's the key, contributing enough. Because if you're contributing enough for your financial goal, the retirement goal, then you ought to be hitting the match every single time. Because, you know, most people should be saving 10 to 15% of their income for retirement. If you're doing that, then you're getting all the match from somebody. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because that goes back to the free money thing that Kevin was talking about too. I think a lot of people are probably leaving this on the table because they don't want to spend the money. Yeah. Or, or put the money away, not in their spending account, so to speak, in order to get the match. And I think so. some people are just saying, no, I'm just going to hold on to the money. Yeah, right. Crazy. Yeah, and we tell people, look, if you have a dollar and you earn a dollar, it goes on the conveyor belt. If you pull it off to spend it, you put 60 or 70 cents in your pocket. If you leave it on the conveyor belt and it drops into the retirement bucket, you've got a dollar working for you. And then if your employer matches 80 cents of that dollar, instead of having... 60 or 70 cents in your pocket to spend today, you have somewhere between a dollar to a dollar 80 working for your retirement and helping you reach your goals out there. So we really encourage people to take advantage. So principle seven, uh, have a plan for retirement. So again, I mean, give us the basic rundown on this one. And uh, don't all financial advisors really help people plan for retirement anyway. We talk about it all the time. Yeah. Figuring out what you need to do to be able to retire when you want and how you want is extremely difficult to do. You can't do it on the back of a napkin. You can't do it with a quick online calculator. There are so many variables to go through and analyze and then, you know, work on some of the trade-offs. Well, if I do this, this affects that. And there, it is so complicated, but it's also one of the biggest financial decisions people will make in their entire life. And so having a plan for what you need to be doing now to be on track, or if you think you're on track, figuring out and going through the, uh, the, the big process of confirming that, oh, that, that's an essential principle. And that's all different than making smart decisions with the investments that you're building up for retirement. And that's what most financial advisors really do is, is they don't, they don't actually build a formal plan and work through the fairly laborious process of figuring out, are you on track or should you be doing something different? They just address it as in, well, are you getting the biggest return you possibly can? But, but not doing the planning is a huge disservice. There's, there's no clarity. There's no confidence that you're on that you're on track. So what approach should our listeners then take to go ahead and, and look at planning for retirement? Well, they need to work with a, a financial planner. Most, you either have to do it yourself or work with a financial planner. And again, working with a financial planner, it, making the distinction between someone who sells investments and someone who's a, a certified financial planner who, who's cared enough about their career and the profession to get certified. So as a certified financial planner, they want to work with someone and they want to realize that Not only is planning for retirement extremely complicated, but the people who have run the miles and have planned and saved well for a successful retirement make it look easy. 
they make it look deceptively easy, and it just isn't. Yeah. Okay, so I didn't know this, but apparently when you do your estate planning, you get a free toy. <laughs> because <laughs> principle eight is the estate planning happy meal. So talk about that. What exactly is the estate planning happy meal? That is a that is a stupid term I came up with. Can actually. I get apple slices yeah, too? You take, <laughs> I hey, hey I take credit for that. Sorry. No, just fries. <laughs> just high calorie fries. No apples. Uh, no, it's for most people. The basic estate plan has four components to it. And so I, many years ago, I just started telling people this was the estate planning happy meal, and I don't know, it's kind of stuck. But Josh, what are those four components? Well, the four are your will also known as the last will and testament is the, the formal name. That's basically where you say, hey, here's what happens to all my stuff when I pass away if I haven't already named a beneficiary on it or, or co-owned it with someone else. It's also, by the way, the one place where you get to name who would care for your children if you pass away and are leaving you know, minor children behind. Um, second one is power of attorney. This basically says who uh, has the authority to transact business on your behalf if you're not around to be able to do it yourself or you're incapacitated in some way. Third one would be an appointment of healthcare representative. That one's similar to the power of attorney, only it's specifically geared towards uh, healthcare, being able to talk to the doctors or the nurses and give them instructions. Again, if you're not conscious or not able to make a wise choice on your own. And then the final uh, one, it's uh, maybe the most morbid of them all, but it's the living will. It's basically the pull the plug or don't pull the plug. Yeah. Instructions to not resuscitate if, if you're you know, out of commission and are not going to recover. So it's giving your last, uh, your last preferences, I guess, on your life. Can I offer some advice on the living will thing? Sure. Have multiple people have copies of it. Because mm-hmm. my family ran into a situation where only one person had it, and they violated the living will, and wow. we all knew it, but they were the only ones with the paperwork. So have multiple people have copies of this paperwork. Yeah, that's what I was going to say with this this day and age with, I don't know, everything that we're dealing with, even that story you just mentioned, Casey, just, it just means it's more important to have these documents than ever. Most people just think, oh, I've got a will, I'm done. No, you need a living will. You need a healthcare power of attorney. You need a durable power of attorney. Because of privacy laws and families getting all sure. intertwined, you need this stuff now. And look, emotion takes over uh, when somebody has a, a tragic loss like that. And sometimes people remove themselves from reality a little bit, uh, holding on to false hope. And, and that causes a lot of turmoil and a lot of problems. So just make sure there's backups and that multiple people have it. So if, if need be, the proper authorities can get copies of the paperwork. But is there more to estate planning than just the, the Happy Meal and the what? free toy? Well, part of having an estate plan is maintaining your estate plan. So if you have, if you don't have an estate plan, you need to meet with your financial planner and start the estate planning process. But if you do have one, you want to make sure your documents aren't more than five years old. I would also add that make sure your beneficiaries are right yeah. on your life insurance and all your investment accounts because you can say in your will, hey, my life insurance goes to, you know, Uncle Susie or her Uncle Susie, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever. An uncle named Susie. We don't judge. You can name whoever you want in there. But if it's if the beneficiary is different, then it's going to go to that beneficiary, not go through the will. So that's the other part of this. Yeah, that's a big one. All right. So what are your final? I love this wise words about the elite uh, or the uh, the essential eight principles of personal finance? Shall I say? Well, I think you got to take action today. Uh, today, you want to predetermine how much you're going to eat this Thanksgiving and how much you're going to spend on Black Friday and then Cyber Monday. 
and make sure that the, the money you're going to spend is in the account before you spend it. Don't go spending money and saying, hey, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll figure out a way to pay for it later. Don't go eating a bunch of calories and saying, well, I'll go for a run tomorrow and try and burn some of these off. Yeah, you're not going to go for a run today after you pound, uh, pound back a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of food and an entire pumpkin pie. Doesn't work. We uh, we tried that in basic training. They fed us a whole pizza one day. It was not it was not pleasant the next day. <laughs> so yeah, so you need to take action today. Review your spending plan. Review your insurance coverages. Analyze the various tax favored options for saving and investing. You want to diversify. Contribute enough to capture your company match. Revisit your retirement plan. What do you do if you're ahead? If you're behind? If you're right on pace? And then update your estate plan. That's what you need to do. So that is your eight essential principles of personal finance. Have a spending plan. Have the right bank account structure. Don't have a cookie cutter insurance plan. Determine how to get uh, get money into a Roth IRA. Then you need to diversify your investments, even if you don't like it. That's the big thing. Even if you don't like it. That's right. uh, Make sure you get the most out of your employer match. Have a plan for retirement and get the estate planning happy meal with the free toy. So we've got listener questions coming up. Of course, the final segment, we like to take uh, listener questions and answer them from uh, all of you. If you have a question, go to wisemoneyradio.com and submit your question there. You can also call and leave us a voicemail if you prefer at 574-222-2000. So listener questions coming up on Wise Money with Core and Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Good morning. Welcome back. Once again, you're listening to News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Casey Hendrickson here. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. And the guys are getting ready to go over some listener questions. We got Jane, who is 58 years old. First one, she called in on the uh, the voicemail line, by the way, which you can call at 574-222-2000. Leave us your question on voicemail or at wisemoneyradio.com. I just heard that a woman is no longer allowed to draw on her husband's Social Security. Is that true? And what is a woman supposed to do if this is no longer an option? My late husband owned his own business, and I worked in that business for a long time, but never drew a paycheck. What are my options now? Yeah, so there's so much to this question, Jane. Thanks so much uh, for calling in and, and leaving that on the hotline there. So the the short answer is that no need to worry. They didn't get rid of the spousal, the, the ability to draw on your spouse's benefit. What they did get rid of was you can't draw on your spouse's benefit unless they're already drawing their own. Um, it, it's kind of complicated. It, it's extending the age limit on which Social Security deems you to be drawing either your Social Security or half of your spouse's, whichever is higher. It used to be that you were only deemed if you were younger than your full retirement age, which for most people is 66. Now they've increased that all the way up to age 70. So, But they did not get rid of the ability to draw half of your spouse's. Or the ability to draw off of a spouse who passed away. Which and it that's sounds kind of like. her situation, it sounds like. She said late husband, right? Right. So she, she would be able to, Jane, you'd be able to draw off of uh, your husband's social security, even though uh, it sounds like you didn't work enough uh, as an employee earning a paycheck over over your working career to get enough, uh, well, 40 credits is what you have to have in social security to be eligible to draw your own benefit. So really your husband's is the one that you can draw off of and that has not gone away. That's exactly right. And and you won't get half of his, you'll get a survivor benefit, which is his entire, right. his full amount. Yeah. Right. 
I'm glad we got great that confusion. Question. Yeah, it was a great question too. And there's I just going to be tons of confusion about the Social Security thing. So we're yeah, all happy these to changes help. and everything all came us, through the budget deal. All yeah. us. Uh, Laverne and Loretta, they're from Napanee. How do you feel about online bank accounts? We've been talking about having those uh, those bank accounts earlier in the program today. It's one of right. those principles we just covered. So what do you guys think about online bank accounts? I mean, obviously it depends on the bank, but these are legitimate banks most of the time. I mean, the the accounts often carry FDIC insurance. The only difference is they don't have a bricks and mortar branch that you could walk into and, and talk to a, a live human being. So instead, what you do is you set up your local bank account to be linked to that online account and you can transfer money back and forth usually takes two to three days i'm a big fan of using these if it if you do your homework and find a bank that's legitimate um, the reason i like it is uh, in that three bank account system that we were referring to earlier bucket number three would be a good candidate to have as an online account because you're segregating the dollars out separate from your normal bank accounts. It's out of sight, out of mind. That emergency fund should be in kind of a do not touch account. But we also want to be able to get the money back if emergencies strike. And uh, an online account that's linked up to your local bank uh, can can serve that function. Yeah, and, and the big point is quite often you can make significantly more with an online money market account than you can with in your local bank. And it's interesting because I'll talk to folks and they'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, my money in the bank's making a percent and a half. And it was 10 years ago. <laughs> Maybe last time you looked, but, but right. more on a good account, it might be earning 0.15. That's 15 basis points. Yeah. So on a hundred thousand dollars, I'm earning $150 in interest this year. I have three rules for an emergency fund. One is the money's got to be FDIC insured. Two, the money's got to be liquid. And three, it's got to be a free account. It's got to be free. After that, just give me the one that's paying the highest interest. If it meets all three of those, give me the one that's paying the highest interest. And that's usually online bank accounts. And and high interest these days is somewhere in the three quarters of a percent range. Less than a percent. Or maybe I've, I've heard that online bank accounts are a little bit more difficult to get with credit restrictions and things like that. Is that true? No, not that we've yeah, experienced. I seen that, that myself. Okay. And and that's the question. What is your loyalty to? Because if your loyalty is to a local bank and to lower interest rates, then you go to the local bank and you get your lower, lower interest rates. If your loyalty is to what kind of return can I get on my money, you're seeking that out. Go to bankrate.com or, or just search online money market rates. They'll tell you, uh, they'll show you how they're rated and what kind of uh, return you can earn on that. We also have Jason, who's 36 years old. He's from Granger, Indiana. Can anybody contribute to a Roth IRA? And if so, what are the limitations? Hey, that's one of the principles. Thanks, yeah. Jason. Thanks for the question. Fits nicely. <laughs> well, the, the short answer is it depends. It depends on your income. It Once your income goes over 183000 they start phasing out or limiting your ability to make a contribution to a Roth IRA. However, you still have that second method of getting dollars into a Roth, and that's doing a Roth conversion. So taking IRA money, turning it into Roth IRA money. So one of the strategies that's developed over recent years is called the backdoor Roth contribution. It's a way of first making a contribution to an IRA and then immediately converting it over into a Roth. For some people, this can make a lot of sense. Um, it, it's a way to kind of circumvent the the rules about income limitations on your Roth contributions. Go ahead, but don't try that at home. If yeah. you already have an IRA, and it, this can be very tricky, you're going to want to do it 
with, you know, white gloves or with a professional, we would say. We do it with folks all the time, but very confusing, tricky laws about this. And as it goes with the show, when we talk about something in one show, by the next time we air, the <laughs> Congress is <laughs> taken away. away. I just and, had that experience. Yeah. And, yeah. So, and uh, the president has his eye set on the backdoor right. IRA, Roth IRA, and so... Uh, he may be taking that away at some point here. There's an asterisk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's right. Okay, B, if you're going to do it, you might want to go ahead and do it now with the help of a professional, but keep in mind that that might very well go away, which is, in, I mean, again, going back to Jane's question earlier, you know, that came up partly because we had done a whole show on it yeah. and all these tips and tricks, and then the new budget deal came out. Oh, by the way, they're gone. Right. <laughs> uh, which, you know, obviously scared her quite a bit, which is what led her to contact us. Um, all right, so we got like maybe one minute left, guys. Uh, and Jason had another part to his question. He said, you know, what about paying off student loans before saving for retirement? What do you think about that strategy? Yeah, they stretch out these student loans so long. I mean, you can pay on them for 25 years. If you wait to pay into, save into your retirement until those are paid off, you might be waiting too long. Do it. Do it. Do it. Pay it off right now. Yeah. If you're graduating, say, give yourself either two or four years. And people say, well, wait a minute. I Don't can't. make your minimum payment. That's right. what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Give yourself a schedule that's going to get you paid off in two to four years. And people say, well, I can't afford that. Yes, you can. You can't afford the new car payment and the suite apartment all by yourself and the new stereo. And here's why you need that sense of urgency to wipe out the student loans. In my opinion, it is one of the riskiest forms of debt that you'll ever have in your life. It does not go away through bankruptcy or any other means. So that nice paycheck that you um, have after graduating from college, it could go away if you became disabled, but the student loans aren't going with it. So the only way to make them disappear is to pay them off quickly. And if there's a loss of income at some point, Remember, there's huge federal penalties on your student loans if you fall behind, yeah. uh, which will increase the amount that you owe drastically. drastically. And with new laws that went on the books a couple of years ago, they will take your retirement. They will take your Social Security. They will garnish it in order to pay off your student loans. So if you maintain them and you don't pay them off before you get to retirement, they're going to take that money from you. Yeah. yeah, and that's why you want to be so aggressive about paying them off early because the other thing that that does is it sets the right habits in place and it tells you, look, I was spending all this money to re repay debt. I don't need it. Now I can get going on my retirement plan. Sounds good. Don't forget to go to wisemoneyradio.com. You can get this show and all of our previous shows. You can also submit a question. You can also give us a call and leave your voicemail question at 574-222-2000. For the guys over at Corhorn Financial Group, if you want financial planning, go to corhorn.com. That is corhorn with a K, dot com. You've been listening to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group right here on News Talk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. Securities are offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Financial advisors offer advisory services through KFG Wealth Management, LLC, doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC, Corhorn Financial Group, KFG Insurance Agency, and KFG Tax and Business Services are separate entities from Securities America, Inc. Tax services provided by KFG Tax and Business Services and insurance services provided by KFG Insurance Agency. Listen again next week to Wise Money on News Talk 95.3 Michiana's News Channel.